So right now, I think there's a quote-unquote revolution going in the evangelical church that is going to come out as a winner because the old way is driving people away from church right and left. The rise of the nuns, those who don't believe in anything or really are angry and with their faith or really abandon it, it's the fastest growing part of our country. So if Christianity is still true, if God is still real, what do we do? Well, I think that that the thing is to go with interpretations of Scripture that I think are closer to what Jesus really meant and really allow people to extend mercy and justice to everybody, you know, including other faiths. You know, if I were born in Thailand, I may very well be a Buddhist. The Bible is definitely loaded with indications that anyone who has a heart for God is going to be in God's kingdom. You know, there is a progressive and faithful view of Christianity that I think is gaining, it's small, but it's gaining some clout, and I'm in that group. Welcome to Everything is Spiritual, a podcast from Soul Care Urban Retreat Center. We're talking with local folks, faith leaders, creatives, thinkers, and community advocates, getting personal about their faith and spirituality and how it shows up in their daily life and work. I'm Kelly Skinner, your host, and I'm sharing these heart-centered conversations to invite you to become more aware that everything is spiritual and to deeply connect with what is most true and alive in your own everyday life. My friends, you are in for a treat today because we're talking with kind of a local legend named Vern Fine. He was a grad student in the early 70s at the University of Illinois and became heavily involved in the political activism of the anti-Vietnam War and civil rights movements. And at the same time, he moved from being an atheist to becoming Christian as part of the Jesus movement. And if you're not familiar with that, There was a very large group of young people across the United States who left conventional Christian churches in droves in search of a more fulfilling and countercultural spiritual experience. And a lot of those things that came out of the Jesus movement really influenced our contemporary Christian worship experience with movement and music and different ways that bring in emotion. And those years significantly shaped the rest of Vern's life and also the way that the Urbana community looks. Vern was an outreach pastor for two area churches and was instrumental in his work to help start or sustain area ministries such as the Eastern Illinois Food Bank and the vegan restaurant, The Red Herring. And so now he's 80, and of course he's retired. And in retirement, he wrote a book called Radical Faith, From 60s Counterculture to Jesus, about the connection between his faith and politics, both of which are still pretty significant in his life. He also took up writing, and he's working on putting together his first poetry book, He's very active in his current church, New Covenant, and he's 
super proud to be involved in their study to implement reparations in our community and nationally. So Vern and I have a great conversation about the places where radical politics and faith converge. Although it's been more than 50 years since the Jesus movement, there's ripples of those same inclinations and desires in progressive Christian circles today. So Vern and I are talking about the places where radical politics and faith converge. Although it's been more than 50 years since the Jesus movement, there are ripples of those same desires in progressive Christian circles today. Vern has some really interesting thoughts on what's happening in the Christian church and where things might be headed in the next 50 years. Let's just jump right in. I'd love to hear a little bit about um, your story and, and just having you introduce a little bit of your background. Sure. I grew up in a, a non-believing household. Uh, my dad was a non-believing Jewish man, businessman, who were pretty much into being more interested in making money than anything with God. You know, there was no God. My mother was, uh, he married a shiksa, which is a, a Gentile woman, which in 1938 was extraordinary and probably the reason a lot of his Jewish relatives disconnected from him and my whole family, my grandmother, they were all into taverns and gambling and the whole thing. I mean, it was my family. If I wrote a family book, it would be called Addiction, uh, it, which is not happy. Anyway, uh, so my mother, however, was a closet Catholic, she and my grandmother, and they kind of raised me with a little bit of that. But I didn't hardly ever, ever go to church or anything at all. And then in my in my teens, though, I fell in with, well, I was visiting my mother, fell in with the Jehovah Witnesses for about a year and a half. I'm really a radical. Everything I do, I do wholly. So I really got into them. So anyway, when I fell out of that, I just became really a pretty vocal atheist. I went to grad school at the U of I. I graduated from, I went to Cornell College in Iowa, graduated from Rollins College in Florida in literature and uh, went to the U of I for my master's, got my master's in almost everything for the PhD, but the thesis, I just quit, which I'll tell you why. But anyway, uh, so I wasn't very religious or anything, you know, there wasn't much in, or political in my early grad days. But then uh, the anti-war movement came along and without going into real detail, I got involved through another number of sources who challenged me to begin to examine the material. And I've always been someone who wasn't going to just give an opinion without looking at it. So I began to explore that. And I, I realized pretty early on that the United States was fabricating a lot. It was really an illegitimate war, a terrible war. So I became involved in what at the U of I was initially a free speech movement, but that morphed into the anti-war and civil rights movement. So I began to read, even though I was a literature major, I began to read voluminously, go to conferences for SDS and committee to end the war and all this stuff, and just became really knowledgeable. And then through, even though I was a teacher, I was kind of shy, but then through the circumstances that just kind of happened, I got up one time behind the union and spoke about it, and I got a lot of real positive feedback, and I got bit. Okay. And that became my emphasis. I mean, completely. I didn't work on my thesis for four years. I could have finished my PhD at 25. I didn't work on my thesis for four years because I was just doing all these radical activities, leading demonstrations. Without bragging, the truth is I was one of the key leaders of the anti-war movement on this campus. And I, I just put all my eggs in that basket. And uh, then 1970 was really an apotheosis. I mean, really things blew up all over the country. And then it died. 
it died very quickly for a couple reasons. I don't want to go into politics. But the other thing that happened to me is I began to look at the values uh, of the left, both the uh, political things and the, uh, the cultural things. And I began becoming dissatisfied with my own behavior, with the lack of any kind of morality, and also with the futility of, of what some of the left wing did, the more radical elements. There was a group called the Weathermen. They got very unrealistic and began to promote the idea that the United States, particularly the white working class, was ripe for revolution. It was absurd. you know. Anyway, the point is they played themselves out. So I went through a period of, of really probably the only time I'd say I've been somewhat depressed because I, I realized that the things that I, I had put my eggs in that basket uh, – was uh, you know, was just not working, you know, not working on any level, and uh, and so I I kind of went into a period of just reading around and thinking around and just you know I was drinking quite a bit. I worked in a bar and uh, I was in my late twenties, early thirties. So finally, uh, through circumstances that I want to go into deeply, I read a book by a, a, a prophetic guy who actually turns out to be quite a charlatan at this point. But which is humorous in a way. Uh, I, what the Bible is, I believe, a, a prophetic history. And if it isn't seen as a prophetic history, I don't think you can understand it. It's basically a literal presentation of the supernatural. Now, if you don't allow for any of the supernatural, which is a Marxist, I did not, then it has not. It has no legs at all. But if you do see that the supernatural could be true, if there is a God, okay, then in fact it becomes a literal history of the supernatural. Now, that doesn't take away. There's a lot of cultural things in the Old Testament, you know, story to match up with the local cultures. Because one of my pastors always said that I really honed on to was God decided to work in real time and space history. Hmm. You know, he didn't put a sky writing in the sky. He worked through who the cultures were, who the Jews were, you know. And I think if you don't understand that, you can't understand the Bible. So again, as a radical, I, I plunged in, read the Bible, read, 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 talked to, you know, and finally came to the conclusion that, and it's the same conclusion I'm at today, I can't prove to you that the Bible's God's word or that God is real. Anyone that tries to do that is really foolish, okay? But I can say this, my reading and my discussion and my thought and prayers and everything have come to the conclusion that of all the eschatological options, and that's a big word for me, because some of the faiths don't even deal with eschatology. They don't even deal with what's happening afterward, other than, you know, in kind of vague terms. But of all the eschatologies that I've been able to apprehend, the Christian one, in its purest form, what, it's, what it promises is by far away in the best. If you said to me, okay, Vern, you get to choose which one is true, I would choose that because it's the best outcome. You know, of all the ones, it's the you know, and it's in real time and space history again. Uh, uh, you know, the resurrection is presented as a historical fact, as is the second coming. You can't. You can choose to say it's it didn't happen. You could say that to you, but you can't say for sure that it didn't happen. And if it did happen, it's an act in history. Okay, and that was really, really many of the other faiths do not have that historical ballast. And so that's what convinced me. And I don't argue about it. I just say what I believe. Some of our um, some of our listeners um, yeah. may not know the definition of that term or have heard that term before, eschatological. Okay. So can you 
put that in layman's terms? It just means uh, dealing with things after life. Okay. What's going to happen in the future? Thank you. Whether it's heaven or the oversoul or nothing, you know. And uh, so uh, eschatology, it's a big word, but it is an important word. So, yeah, that's a simple definition of what it is. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, just to finish it up. So anyway, I, I plunged into that. And as I became convinced, I, I flipped away from not my radical politics. I'm, I'm probably more radical now than I was. I really believe that I think the Bible is revolutionary in the sense that, you know, it talked, it talks about human sin and, and the, the brokenness of the world and God's desire to repair it. And that Christians are, first of all, and the Jews were, first of all, to take care of each other and mankind and and be for justice and mercy, you know, and, uh, and I fell in love with that because that, that was a spiritual way of dealing with what my political actions were doing. The political actions just didn't go anywhere. You know, they just kind of were spinning. And also I thought they weren't doing that much in the real, but in the, in the Christian theological point of view, you know, it was, you, you do these things and then the judgment is in relationship to what you do to help others. So that took us through about the 70s and and things like that. And you've lived a lot of life since the 70s. Um, So what kind of happened as you made that shift and stayed here in CU and lived here? Kind of what's happened in the the second half of your life? Okay. Well, I got married to a wonderful woman and have three great kids. And, uh, some of you may know of but one of my sons, uh, Seth Fine, who uh, who does Smile Politely and the Pygmalion Festival, you know. Uh, but my all, all my children, I have great relationships with my children, my my wife. Anyway, uh, so I I, uh, I had dropped out of graduate school. Uh, I got into a lawsuit with Parkland. They fired me because of my politics. That's a whole side story. And uh, anyway, I wound up. Uh, going back and getting a special ed degree and working for 45 years at Cunningham Children's Home as a special ed teacher. That was my main job. But I also became a pastor at two churches in town, not the preaching pastor. I did some preaching, but but the outreach pastor. And I did a, a lot of outreach work in the community, which matched up with my Christian and biblical values about helping the poor. The, the biggest one of those was that I was the founder of the Eastern Illinois Food Bank, which is something I'm very because it's still helping unbelievable numbers of people. And so that was just really my focus and uh, racial reconciliation, things like that. Uh, even today uh, in my current church, which is New Covenant Fellowship, I'm on a, well, I'm, we're, we're working with the idea of reparations. And I'm really involved in that. I think that's a huge thing that needs to happen because of the history, not only toward African-Americans, but toward Native Americans too. And then I, I began writing, I wrote that book, the Radical Faith book, and I, I've been writing poetry for about five years, pretty successfully, gotten quite a few published and really enjoy it. So, No, that's awesome. And I think it shows your early story is so fascinating, but it didn't end there. And that's mm-hmm. I, I think that's really amazing because I think a lot of people don't sometimes feel that in their real life after they get married and have kids and grandkids that they may not have the time or even the inclination because they're so immersed in society and all that it demands the suburban that they don't 
um, figure out how to fit in those social justice or community aspects. Mm -hmm. And it's important to show examples of, of people who are doing both. Sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Sure. So if you could sum up your kind of your spirituality now that you're now that you've lived this really you full probably, life, what would it be? Okay, this this is central to me and probably what I hope people remember the most out of this because I've been uh, a Christian now for over 45 years and, uh, and uh, it's very meaningful to me and I feel my faith in some ways is stronger. It's both stronger and weaker at the same time and I'll explain that. What a, a very precise statement I can say is this. When I came to the faith, in the early 70s in the Jesus movement, which was, again, a radical expression of, of our faith. We looked at the Acts, book of Acts in the early church and wanted to be like that, you know, really help people bind together, be cooperative, you know. Many people may not know this, but Karl Marx's family raised him as a Lutheran Christian. I believe most of Marxism came out of his reading of the book of Acts because that basically they lived socialistically, whether people want to believe that or not. You can read it for yourself, you know. Anyway, the point is, is that we had those ideals, but unfortunately embedded in there were some literal interpretations of scripture, like about the gay community and about, you know, the basic economic functions, et cetera, that really undermined, I think, the major message of love and mercy that the Bible and Jesus really talked about. Even though it was very hard for me because it was a flip of what I believed in, I actually helped start the initial gay Illini group on campus. I'm not a gay man, but nonetheless, I did that. But because I was a believer and, you know, they gave me the Bible and said, this this is God's word. It's inerrant. You can't, you know, whatever. I, for a long time, I, until actually on the gay issue, maybe five or six years ago, I hung in with that. And now there is a progressive Christianity movement that's happening more and more. And uh, I'm very excited about that. It's It's... Like many movements, I've seen this uh, with the anti-war movement. The first demonstration I went to, there were 12 of us, and they spit on us. In two years, there were 9,000 of us walking in the moratorium around the campus. So I've seen how history can change, you know. So right now, I think there's a quote-unquote revolution going in the in the evangelical church that is going to come out as a winner because the old way that's being pushed and dug into is driving people away from church right and left, particularly the young people. You mentioned that in one of your questions. The rise of the nuns, those who don't believe in anything or really are angry and with their faith or really abandon it. It's the fastest growing part of our country. you know. So if Christianity is still true, if God is still real, what do we do? Well, I think that, that the thing is to go with what I would call Rob Bell, different people like that, a man named Peter Enns, uh, have, have done interpretations of Scripture that I think are closer to what Jesus really meant and really allow people to extend mercy and justice to everybody, you know, including other faiths, you know. It's for God to judge that, okay? If I were born in Thailand, I may very well be a Buddhist, and I could not be blamed for that, okay? The Bible is definitely loaded with indications that anyone who has a heart for God is going to be in God's kingdom, you know. I mean, so many of the Old Testament people like Job were not Jews, okay? And, you know, so point I'm getting back to try to simplify is that there is a progressive and faithful view of Christianity that I think is gaining. It's small, but it's gaining some clout. And I'm in that group. And at the end here, it says, I want to not forget to do this. 
that says, what book would you recommend for people interested? There's a man named David Gushy, G-U-S-H-E-E, David Gushy. And he's a liberal, believe it or not, a liberal Southern Baptist pastor, which is an oxymoron. Uh, He wrote a book called After Evangelism. You know, it's not perfect, but I would recommend anybody that's interested in progressive Christianity should read that book. And along with Rob Bell and some of those other ones. Yeah. Um, A book that I've been reading uh, or have read recently and just keep coming back and back and back to is Brian McLaren's Mm -hmm. uh, The Great Spiritual Migration. And I think it really lays out a blueprint for some of the things that you were just talking about. There's a man named David Smeltzer who did a thing called Blue Ocean Faith. The, The initial book on that is called Blue Ocean Faith has those basic principles. As far as McLaren, and I like him, I, I, you know, I think he's done great stuff. There's some of these people like McLaren, there's a couple others that are a little bit too liberal for me because they kind of push away a little bit from the supernatural, which I think is key. You know, you know, either Jesus raised from the dead or he didn't. If he didn't, then it's like Paul said, it's a pity. And, you know, it's pretty clear in scripture that, and this is where people say you're crazy, but it's pretty interesting that the Bible, in fact, the Jewish word for the prophets was Meshuggah, crazy. And uh, the Bible is always, it, it's loaded, like in Corinthians, where it says, you know, the foolishness of the world and the wisdom of God, you know. And so the idea of the resurrection, and even more so the idea of Jesus returning is looked on like, and I'm not I'm not one of those people that tries to pin down, it's going to happen here in this country, you know, all that. That's foolish. It even says, even Jesus doesn't know when. So it's kind of stupid for us to try to find out. But it's definitive. He says it. It's said over and over again that he's coming back and he's going to establish his kingdom. So if that's not true, the resurrection doesn't mean a whole lot. doesn't mean a whole lot at all. So I think that's critical to see it as a supernatural history, prophetic history. But anyway, so McLaren and them, I think they got a little scared about the uh, literal interpretations. They moved a little bit away from the supernatural stuff. I think it has to be both. Oh, I really like that. Uh, N.T. Wright is coming up in that. Uh, uh, Rob Bell, Peter Enns has a, a written a book that you know that people could explore about what the Bible's saying. So I'm, I, you know, even as an old man, I'm excited about the seed that I see growing. You know. Mm-hmm. No, I really like that. The other part of it is the imperative through every page of Scripture. I've done a lot of study and writing about this. There's hundreds, of, in fact. The second most topic is justice for the poor, uh, the entire scripture. There's hundreds and hundreds of passages, and it's pretty clear. In fact, when it talks to judgment, when it talks about judgment, which, by the way, I need to say this. I believe in judgment. I do not believe in the literal hell. I don't know. That's another thing, that trying to speculate what that means is foolish for humans. But I have to say this, and, and, and this may sound judgmental, but I'm just going to say it honestly. I would not be happy or content in a universe that allowed the same fate for Adolf Hitler and Mother Teresa. I couldn't handle that. I think that that would be a God that allowed that. And I think there's nothing in Scripture that doesn't point toward there being judgment. Now, I don't know what that judgment means. I know it's probably not good, you know. I'm not talking about eternal fire, which I think is a, is a metaphor. But I am talking about the fact that, and again and again in Scripture, many times it will say, particularly in the New Testament, you will be judged for what you did. It doesn't matter who you are or whatever culture. Even in the book of Romans, it says those who are outside the pale of Judaism will judge 
by the way the, the, the way they responded to the conscience in their heart. Every human being knows the difference between right and wrong. It's inbuilt. So how do we choose that, whether we're a Muslim, a Jew, a Christian, or an atheist? Okay. So you had mentioned just recently, back in 2019, you published a book called Radical Faith from 60s Counterculture to Jesus. Right. So what what made you want to write a book at this point in your life? Yeah, well, because I wanted to know what these people, these Jesus movement people that I went through this experience with, I wanted to interview those people. And that's what I did. The book is about how they got into God, you know, what their conversion experience is, what what their walk looked like, and where are they now? Okay. And uh, three of the people in the book are no longer believers, but the rest of them are. So I think people who may not be into looking at the different movements within the church may not even be aware that there are have been different movements in the church both both in the last um century and even in the 2000 years of christianity there's been different times that there's been movements so this whole thing that you're talking about is actually called the jesus movement can you explain a little bit about what that was and where it came from and like why it was different from anything else that had happened previously this goes back to, I think, a very profound, since it wasn't mine, I could say profound, profound understanding of the Bible, of God working in real time and space history. The Bible ends, you know, in a particular historical period, and that tension is in there. But since the church 2,000 years, it's the same thing. We have the good church and the bad church, because human beings are good and bad. Basically, we're sinful. People don't like to hear that. All that means is we see through a glass darkly. We can't get it together. Look at the world now. After centuries, the human human race is now more threatened than it has ever been. Humans have not done a great job, and they've done a great job. Phenomenal people, Dr. Salk, you know, whatever, Mother Teresa, uh, you know, St. Francis of Assisi. But then there's been, you know, monsters who have used Christianity to kill and maim and destroy people. This thing goes back to what it says about God judging on what you did. We all got to act it out. And how did we act it out? And you can be a Christian and act it out horribly. And you can be an atheist and act it out well in terms of God's values. And I think that's what you were on a stage. All the world is a stage, like Shakespeare said. We're on a stage. And we have a, fortunately, I believe we have a supernatural judge who is love. And that's how it's going to come out. I think people are going to be astonished. That's one of the things I think it talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is a sign of regret. It's not just that, hey, I got it wrong, but oh my God, God is love. It's real. It's beautiful. And there is going to be a kingdom. So the Jesus movement was a current expression of that. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. So I'm sure in the 60s and 70s, some of this very communal Um, social justice was actually in alignment with many of the political social justice initiatives. Um, And I've seen some of the movements that have come out of that time and even into the more recent history of people trying to live Mm -hmm. a little bit more like the early Christians in 
uh, community mm -hmm. in um, a shared space, yeah. truly taking care of one another. There's a lot of tension yeah. with that compared to our daily lives mm -hmm. in modern day America. Sure. So how how does, for you, how has some of that tension played out mm -hmm. and how in your regular American life are you inserting some of these ways of living out those values? The church has done worldwide a great job of mercy. I mean, there's so many things, hospitals, mental health institutions. What other faith went in with the lepers? Only Christianity, okay? Have been an incredible thing in terms of ameliorating the world, doing so many missionaries now, even though a lot of bad missionary history and you know, like the Native American stuff that's coming out now, but nonetheless done medicine and unbelievable things with people that were dying from, you know, so there's a great and glorious history there, but they're not any good at justice. There are elements, there's been elements of justice. A lot of pastors were against the war for civil rights, mostly black or more liberal pastors, you know, but in by and large, the sadness is that the evangelical right white particularly has gone to the side of oppression the side of pro-war, the side of pro-rich, the side of injustice, not dealing with the, you know, the terrible uh, divide. In, like Jimmy Carter said, the greatest, they asked him the Nobel Peace Prize, what's the biggest thing that surprised you in your life? He said, the absolute exploding gap between the rich and poor. He said, I never thought it would get this bad. It's getting worse and worse. The church's inability to stand up to that, you know, the church should be leading, for example, about reparations. But by, by and large, it isn't, you know. So for my own self, you know, as I, I think I mentioned earlier, my own little church, New Covenant in town here, which I recommend to anyone who's really looking for a church that's really engaging God and get, engaging the world, is dealing with reparations. And uh, I think that's significant. And it's just, again, like everything else, it's just a little bud that's trying to grow. But it's gaining some legs, you know, and I think it's going to eventually – it may not do it exactly right if there isn't exactly right, but I think it's going to have a, a huge impact on helping people in need, people of color, white people, and Native American, whatever, who, who need to help to get out of the miasma they're in, you know. So anyway, yeah. that's my answer. Yeah. So was there anything when you did the interviews for your book, you, you interviewed about 20 people yeah. um, of your peers that were kind of on that journey with you at that time. Um, was there anything about that that surprised you? Uh, no. Well, of course, these, a lot of these people came out of that little church was a little more radical. I think, well, there were a couple people that really got mad at me because of the gay thing. And they got mad because of, you know, pulling away from that little interpretation. And, uh, and there were a few that I said are not believers because of those things. They left the faith because of those things. Uh, but no, by and large, uh, I, I figured I knew most of them, and I knew they would come out to be heading toward the direction I was toward the more progressive thing, and that was heartening, you know. So, that is heartening that the majority of them stayed with it and didn't. Can well, the, the saddest thing is for some of them, and for many, many other, not young people, people all across the spectrum, that have left the church and left the Lord. Not so much the church, and not worry about, but left the Lord because they they're just so disgusted with the, the flipped heretical interpretation of scripture that has caused so many people, you know, to just say, I can't, I can't relate to this. You know, I can't relate to that. That's not, that's not who Jesus is. 
Yeah. So, so for some of those people who are pulling away from the church, uh, from the more conservative church or traditional church or fundamentalist church, um, because they don't feel like the teachings of Jesus resonate with how the church is showing up in the world. What, what advice or insight do you have to offer those people? Yeah, well, I'd say for those who are locked into it, and I have some friends, I've lost some relationships because of it. There's nothing to say they're convicted and they're just, you know, for example, on, on the gay issue, you know, they can't get past the six scriptures that are there. By the way, the same guy, Gushy, wrote a book called Changing Your Mind, which is the best thing that I've read about the whole gay issue from that, that puts it in a biblical context. It's wonderful. They just can't get past that. So they say, you know, Vern, if you believe that gay people are not condemned, then, you know, you're, you're not following Jesus. So we don't agree. You know, that's the way it is. And that's true with the abortion issue and some other things. But I would say to those who are disaffected, but even have some hunger for God, again, that gushy book, and there's a lot of material out there. And there's starting to be more and more churches that are starting to incorporate some of those things. So find a church. My church, New Covenant, is one of them. There's a church in town called uh, Copper Creek that I think is a good a good example. And I want to say this. I was in the more conservative churches for years. Uh, I tried my best to inculcate some of these things. And there is a stirring in them. There's people in those churches that don't know how to break out of that, but are not happy with it. They go because they don't want to be unfaithful to God. But there, there's a lot of concern. And it's it's like with the anti-war thing. No, 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 the war is right. The war is right. The, well, wait a minute. Wait, and then, bam, the floodgate opened. I think there's going to be a revival. So this is, I'm going to quote somebody that I don't like at all, Chairman Mao. I used to worship him, but he was terrible. I didn't know that. But he said something in the little red book. Revolutions are not made in a velvet box. There's always a period of struggle and mistakes and, you know, on the way to people breaking out from one point of view to the other. And I think that's what we're in. And so I would say to them, if you're really true, continue to pray, continue to read your Bible, read all the material you can about this more progressive way of being faithful and still being in the faith and go for it. You know, I mean, if God is real, he didn't go away. Jesus is real. He didn't go away. You know, just because a part of the church, just because the crusades happen, does that mean that God isn't real? I don't think so. Yeah. And I think there's more and more conversation about the institutional church and Mm -hmm. God and how do we have God and Jesus show up more in our institutional churches. So I would love to hear, you talked about being a writer and and writing poetry and prose, and I'm wondering if you have something that you would share with us. Yeah, do you mind? I love that. No, I would love to hear something. I wrote a poem five years ago about my daughter leaving town because it broke my heart, even though she's got a great life. And then I wrote a two-line poem about fishing, and a very good friend of mine, I started writing some poems. He was encouraging me, and I he said, you need to send some poems in. And I said, ah, you know, whatever. And he said, go ahead. So he found a site for me in California, and I sent five poems in. One of them was a two-line poem, and I said to him, Frank, I can't send a two-line poem in. Nobody writes two-line poems. That's not a poet. He said, send it in. That's the only one that got published. So since then, <laughs> since then I published almost 200 poems, and I'm writing a book on it. So I'm not a great poet. Here's my joke. I'm the poet laureate of my street. <laughs> And it's not conventional religious poetry, but I, I picked two short ones 
that I'd like to read, if that's all right, that hit, hit up both the political, kind of the political and the religious themes. The first one is about the angel Gabriel and Mary. And when he came to Mary. To Gabriel, why didn't Mary slap you when you told her she was conceiving a child by God or scream at you or faint or curse when she heard archangel words? That much faith, knew nobody that bright could lie, knew of Messiah, someone had to birth him, no suffering woman servant in Isaiah. Instead, obedience, acceptance, even joy, fearless blessing, clapped her hands, threw her arms around you, Gabriel, danced with glee before she pondered. And this one, again, I was just fascinated by the fact that Karl Marx was raised by Christians and that I believe that he got a lot of his communist ideals out of that faith. He just threw, he threw out God, but he didn't throw out the principles. So this is the kind of thing about the connection between Karl Marx and Jesus. Here we go. Holy Karl Marx, did you know that Jewish boy raised by Hebrew Christians in Germany over a century ago saw Jesus as a socialist, wrote that little book, cried out for all the workers to break their chains and unite, throw the fat cats Mary called out in the Magnificat under the table so that the wretched of the earth sit at a table as long as the world, sup and sup. But when a pandemic crushes the world, we see the fat cats still at the table, the workers cleave beef loins, shovel dirt, spoon feed patients, punch cash registers, crawl in attics and wheel gurneys, die under the table. As Marx turns over in his grave, wonders if we are going to get it before that communist Jesus comes down, takes his own to the place where the cats can't roam. Hmm. So anyway, well, those are fun, you know, to write, and they've both been published, and I'm happy about that. So thank you for letting me read that. And I'm going to yeah. bring out a poetry book. I'm telling everybody here, watch out, watch out. One's coming up. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And we'll uh, link up your site where you um, post oh, some it. of your writings. Yeah, I, I think. Keep I have both the prose. Uh, a little way to get to my book and also uh, of 180 poems on the site. So they, I don't expect everybody to read all or any, but if you want to, yeah, I'll put, I put poems on Facebook too. So, so awesome. Well, um, this has just been a fascinating conversation and just getting a different perspective on some of these things. And, and I really appreciate it. So We'd like to close out, or I like to close out the podcast with uh, some rapid fire questions just to get a little bit more insight into you as a person and just to have a little bit of fun at the end of the conversation. So I'll are try, you ready? I'll try to be succinct. Okay. Oh, Cut okay. Off. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say that's something that people get wrong about you? Well, I, I talk a lot and I'm really extroverted, but when I get into new situations, I'm, I'm pretty nervous and pretty shy. You know, the first time the first time I ever taught a class at the university as a TA, I went in the room, wrote the, uh, looked at the class, turned around, wrote the assignment on the board, and dismissed them. I was so terrified I couldn't talk. So that's a great I'm not that way now. <laughs> um. What is your favorite or most meaningful spiritual practice right now? Uh, prayer. I pray every day. And I, I, I have a treadmill time every other day, and I talk to God a lot, you know. So uh, I, I, I pray regularly. It's always been something that I, I'm privileged to be allowed to do. 
And for you, so does prayer mean rope prayers? Does prayer mean conversation? Does prayer mean any kind of um, silence? Are there prayers uh, different different ways? How do you pray? I, I, I'm a conversationalist. Poor guy, he has to listen like you have. You know, I rattle. One time someone came along and said, you know, I was really upset about a particular thing in the Bible. And they said, you know, I was mad. You know, what about God? I'll listen. They said, why don't you tell God? So I, I remembered that. So when I have, you know, and I have a lot of angst, he knows. When I get my 15 minutes with him in eternity, it's going to be intense. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I, I, con- I converse with God and I hear him. I know that people say, if you hear, you hear God, you're crazy. Maybe so. But I have always felt that the Holy Spirit, the time I became a Christian, that the Holy Spirit spoke to me, opened the door to a lot of my ministry, stepped through those doors. Not perfect, you know, where nobody's, no human is perfect, see through a glass darkly. But I do believe that those those who believe, you might say, well, how come some of those other Christians prayed and they get these different things? Well, you have to balance that against other believers and the Word. So where do you see God as most alive for you in this season? Uh, again, about that Holy Spirit speaking to me, the prayer and what I hear back in terms of my own behavior, in terms of what things I get into. I think, I think again, this, this progressive evangelical church, I think the Holy Spirit is moving in that. You know, I think we have to see that God has always moved in history. There was a book I read way at the beginning that says, The Acts of God. If God isn't acting, then it isn't real. And if he is acting, then he's going to bring human history to the place where he wants it. And right now, I think if he doesn't, that human history is going to go down the tubes. I think we're going to do a good job of destroying ourselves. I I think Jesus' return will line up with God not allowing us to do that. Mm. That's fuzzy, but nonetheless. The Bible tells us that God's on the move. And I don't. I believe God's real and Jesus is real. So I choose to believe that he's still doing that, even though there's a lot of dark. But there's always been a lot of dark. Look at the history of Israel. Oh, my God. You know, I mean, these were the faithful people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, yeah. did, they did a lot of bad stuff. Yeah. And they had to wander the desert for 40 years. <laughs> a lot of good stuff. They did mm-hmm. bad and good. That's the, that dialectic is not going away. We are, we are broken sinners who have... God in us. We have the potential for God in us. That's what scripture says. And I believe that's what's acting out. Mm -hmm. So what would you say is one thing in your life that might seem ordinary, but is sacred for you? I mean, I think that life is sacred, incredibly sacred. You know, that free will thing is very real. I mean, you know, it's so common to say that it's easy to go Oh, well, you know, that's nothing. But it's not nothing. You know, if we were not given free will, then we couldn't choose between good and bad. We couldn't choose to love or not love. You know, that may seem, you know, you look at the horror of the world, like Ivan and the brothers Karamazov gives his ticket back to God because he sees the horror. But Eliasha, who's the spiritual brother in that book, which my one of my favorite books, says, no, I have faith that, in fact, God is going to work it out. He's going to bring his kingdom. And those who want to love and those who want to relate to God are going to be able to relate to God in the right way. That's mm-hmm. my, that's the ultimate vision that I think the Bible gives over and over again about the kingdom. And I think that's where the hope is. I do not have hope in what humans do. I'm glad for the good things that humans do, wonderful things like Dr. Salk or the guy that came up with the vaccine for the COVID. 
But by and large, I don't trust what humans or governments will do. And I think I have good reason. So mm -hmm. I'm all in with God. Sure. And I will share. So um, I've, I've been in this community for about 12 years, 12, 13 years now. Mm -hmm. And as long as I've been in this community, I've been aware of Salt and Light. I've been aware of the Eastern Illinois Food Bank. I've been aware of Red Herring. I've been aware of Smile Politely. Mm -hmm. And to me, those are very ordinary things. And I think about giving my contributions to those places and serving our community. Mm -hmm. And yet in having conversations with you and realizing there was a time and place that those things didn't exist. And so I see them as very ordinary and part of my life. Mm -hmm. And yet because of your conviction, because of your learning, because of your faith, mm -hmm. those things came into existence. And that's that's pretty sacred. That was a sacred yeah. gift that and you gave. That, as much as sometimes I've been in leadership, I think that's what God's given me. But my leadership has always been to gather and enable. Because the food bank would never happen because of Earth 5. Food bank happened because quite a few believers and non-believers came together and just kept pushing, pushing, pushing. Mm -hmm. until it's gone from something that almost went under. I was in a meeting to close it. To now something that, that literally, you know, feeds tens of thousands of people. Now, not only here, because the first guy that started the food bank was a, a Catholic priest in Arizona. And like, you know, now like millions of people have food because of that. So yeah. you're right. I once started to write a book called Pray and Act. Pray, ask the Lord for guidance, but act on it. Then do it, you know. Yeah. You're gonna and it is never about one person. There's no, there's a... Uh, countless contributions that go into creating and sustaining things like that. Um, what are you deeply grateful for right now? Well, one is that I, that I have maintained my faith despite the storms. Two, that I'm going to be 80. And three, that I have uh, an incredibly loving family. Uh, I, my wife and kids like me, love me are supportive to me and vice versa. We had just we have a fierce love for each other. We don't agree on everything all the time, although we all we don't agree on the faith. There's a couple of my kids that don't, one of my kids that do, but they all have that mercy and justice orientation. They've done all of them have done great things in their lives. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well thank you. Thank you so much. This for... is just wonderful. I mean anytime a talker gets to talk, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, I think you're doing a wonderful. I did. I did recommend. Didn't I recommend a couple people there? Both of them are in that little church. One was the founding pastor, and the other is the current pastor. Oh, wonderful! Uh, and they're both like dynamite people. Wonderful. You know, well, first uh, one has written two books recently, and the other one is a young woman who's just just got it. That's awesome. So, well, that's really what I'm hoping for this podcast is to open people's eyes that everything that's happening in our world is spiritual from the smallest things to the largest things and that there's just fascinated people who have faith and spirituality showing up in different ways in their lives yeah, yeah. That's right. so thank you thank you for listening to everything is spiritual and taking time to nourish your soul tune in each week for a little community and a lot of conversation or subscribe in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss our next episode. For more resources around spiritual exploration, restoration, and transformation, 
Be sure to sign up on our mailing list at experiencesoulcare.com. Visit our website for information on retreats, workshops, and services from our partners. Or better yet, come visit our welcoming space in Urbana to say hi and get a steaming cup of tea. Soul Care Urban Retreat Center is a warm, welcoming, and accessible place for you to refresh, renew, and restore your mind, body, heart, and soul. We set a great big table, and everyone is welcome. Until next week, be well.